Chapter 19 Sand. Gritty, abrasive. Slithering and swirling like a living thing. Everywhere. In your eyes, in your clothes. Scraping at your skin. Hot and harsh and fucking everywhere. Always. And the unholy heat. Rippling up from the tarmac. Warping the air. Parched land, stretching out in every direction, nothing but sand and rubble and selenite ghosts, staring at you with blank faces and numb souls, leading bone-thin goats with their gently clanging bells. Clanging, clanging, always fucking clanging. So stark, so empty, this barren land valuable only for what was beneath it. The sun so merciless today, burning hot and cruel. The mess hall would be cooler, or at least it would get him out of the sun. Brady and Sugden nodding at him tersely as they took their place in line for food. Hayes joking around with Vetter. Steam rising from the stainless steel troughs of what passed for food. An ordinary day. Men and women in uniform, his brothers and sisters in arms, low conversation, muted laughter, coping, making do. Time slowed, like a slow-motion scene from a movie, an unearthly silence, deafening, ominous, like the buzzing in his ear when a round streaked by too close. Suddenly she was just there. Out of nowhere she was just there, rising to her feet in the middle of the mess like a specter, like she was floating on air, black fabric rippling around her as she pulled her burqa aside. Too big for her. The vest was too big for her, sagging on her small frame, too weighed down, too many bricks in the pockets of the vest, too many bright red wires snaking up the front, her white knuckled hand clenching a detonator, her thumb hovering over the switch, her mouth moving in a slow, wailing scream in a language he didn't know. Chairs scraping back, falling, tables toppling, shoulders and elbows crashing into him as people tried to flee. Sugden trying to pull Brady out the door, Vetter going for his gun, too slow, everyone moving too fucking slow, would never make it. Hands outstretched to the girl, stricken faces pleading with her to stand down, weapons drawn and cocked. His hand on his Beretta, swinging it up towards her, his thumb flicking back the safety, round in the chamber, stands, aim. She couldn't see him, bracing himself against a support beam, hidden in plain sight. Her wide, tearful eyes roaming the mess passed right over him. Invisible. A ghost amidst the shouts and the frenzy and the fear. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. That detonator in her hand, all eyes fixing on it, panicked voices willing her to drop it. Drop it. Drop it now. He had a clear shot, finger slipping past the trigger guard, settling on the trigger, her liquid eyes turning to him, finding him at last. Beautiful, 
She was beautiful and so young, a little more than a teenager. So scared, her face shining with tears, lips trembling, pleading with him, holding up the detonator, showing it to him, her hand shaking. Camila, no, Camila, don't. Eric surged upright, his heart thundering, his chest heaving, his t-shirt soaked with sweat. He grasped at his chest, splaying his hand over his breastbone and pressing hard, feeling the wild, beating thing beneath it. He sagged, gasping for breath, taking in great gulps of air, like a drowning man. Every time it was the same dream, every goddamn time. And every time he woke up it felt the same, too, like his lungs had been blown out of his chest, like he would never be able to breathe again. He swung his legs around and sat on the edge of the bed, still breathing hard but feeling the panic begin to ebb, as it always did. He lowered his head and took several slow, deep breaths, his arms shaking as he braced them on the edge of the mattress. The shaking was worse than anything else. He knew from bitter experience that when the panic began to subside, the rage took over, rippling through his muscles, making him shudder with it, stripping him of all control. Just breathe through it. Just let it go. Let it all fucking go. But his arms still trembled, and his heart still pounded. He was awake, but his body was still gripped by the nightmare. Eric? His head flew up. Alexandra was standing in the doorway, looking confused, looking like she'd just woken up. Are you okay? Her voice was low and thick with sleep, and humiliation flashed through him as he realized he must have made enough noise to wake her, even down the hall in another room. Go away, he said harshly, lowering his head again. Please. I heard you shouting, she said, coming into the room. She leaned to switch on the lamp on his bedside table, and then knelt in front of him tucking her tasseled hair behind her ears, and looking up at him, blinking her sleepiness away, gazing at him with concern. I said go away, he hissed, keeping his head low. Did you have a bad dream? God damn it, Alexandra, leave me alone. She shouldn't be here, couldn't be here. He couldn't let her see him like this, couldn't make her a part of this nightmare. Sitting here, his arms still shaking, his breathing still uneven, his t-shirt stained with sweat. Christ, he was a mess. He wanted to throw something, break something, smash the lamp or the clock or anything he could get his hands on, punch holes in the goddamn wall, scream until he lost his voice. But what he didn't want was to do any of it in front of her. He could barely control the rage that coursed through him. It was like a living, breathing thing that uncoiled within him and slithered through his veins. But if he couldn't control it, at least he could shield Alexandra from it. She had to go. Now. But she wasn't going. She was just kneeling there, looking at him with such compassion, such love, neither of which he deserved. She reached out and gently laid her hand on his knee. Tell me, honey, please. Stop it! 
He pushed her hand away. Honey. He was a fucking monster, and she called him Honey. Just leave me the fuck alone if you know what's good for you. She went still, her eyes moving over his features until he had to look away. When she spoke again, her voice was soft, gentle. I'm not afraid of you. Really? He surged forward and grabbed her shoulders. Is this where I'm supposed to say you should be? Well, fucking right you should be. The brief flare of surprise in her eyes was like a fist to his gut, and he immediately dropped his hands. He braced them on the mattress and breathed out, trying not to throw up. He met her eyes and grimaced. You have no fucking idea what I'm capable of. Eric, she said quietly after a moment, laying her hand on his thigh. Her touch was so light, so much gentler than he deserved, but so warm and welcome he just couldn't push her hand away this time. It's okay. I understand. He looked up at her, could feel the heat blazing from his own eyes. I'm sorry. I don't want to hurt you, Alexandra. Please, just go. She smiled, gently, as though he were being ridiculous. You're not going to hurt me. He made a noise, half disgust, half disbelief, and held his hand up to silence her. You don't know that. Don't pretend you do. She hesitated, then sat up on her knees in front of him, and reached up with a tentative hand to stroke his cheek. He tensed and grabbed her wrist to stop her. Look, it's been great, this little fuckfest, he said. But as you can see, it's done nothing to change me. So why don't you just go back to your room and stay the hell away from me? Her eyes glittered back at him, pain brightening them briefly, and the nausea rose in him again. Jesus Christ, what was he still doing here? Playing house with her? Fucking her like they were newlyweds? Having goddamn snowball fights cooking her breakfast? Talking about goddamn babies? He had no right to be here with her, no right to be anywhere near her. He should have walked out that first morning, after he'd made sure she got back safe. He should have been long gone by now, out of state or even out of the country, starting over. But those eyes. She looked up at him with those wise, beautiful, soulful eyes. Eyes that were so expressive so open and full of feeling, that betrayed every emotion in their warm, hazel depths. Eyes full of something he thought he would never live to see. Simple, honest, beautiful love. She loved him. It shone from her eyes, guileless and sweet and pure. No one had ever loved him so fiercely with so much quiet courage and determination. He didn't want her to, wished for her sake that she didn't, but she loved him, and it touched that unguarded part of him, that deep, shamefully weak part of him that needed her love so badly it hurt. That stubborn part of him that wanted to believe he was still a man, could still have the things a man wanted, normal things, good things, with her. Christ, why the fuck was he still here? Well, 
there's a problem, she said after a moment, her voice breaking a little. I can't stay away from you, so you're just going to have to put up with me. She cupped his face with her hands and leaned into him, her warm, cozy scent swirling around him, the softness of her body pressing against him. And she lowered her mouth to his, and he felt the first timid, trembling touch of her lips against his. He felt physically weak. She was going to deepen the kiss. He could feel it. He felt her lips firm against his, felt the tentative tensing of her hands against his face and the hitching of her breath. She was going to part her lips and kiss him, and he was going to let her, he realized, desperately. If she parted his lips with her tongue, if she sought his mouth, if she wanted to kiss him deeply, searchingly, with sensuous abandon, he was going to let her. And he'd kiss her back. He'd throw her on the bed and absolutely own her. He'd kiss her hungrily, possessively. His tongue would tangle with hers and he'd grow rock hard from her soft little noises and her irresistible, luscious heat. He'd be inside her in two seconds, and he'd be coming like a teenager in less than a minute, and he'd probably start fucking crying, too, blubbering how much he loved her, and always had. But she didn't deepen the kiss. Thank God in heaven she didn't deepen the kiss. She didn't try to part his firmly closed lips. She just kissed him gently, and then moved to brush light, delicate kisses on his jaw, his cheek the sides of his eyes. Then she feathered the other side of his face with the same light little kisses. When she finally pulled back, she smoothed his hair from his forehead and let her fingers trail gently down the side of his face. She smiled at him, her eyes glowing with warmth and a kind of understanding he'd never seen reflected back at him by anyone but her. He closed his eyes and gripped her wrists, much more gently than he just had, rubbing his thumbs along her warm, smooth skin. He sat there, paralyzed, almost unable to breathe. He had no idea what to do. The only thing grounding him was the feel of her skin, her delicate wrists in his hands, the sweet scent of lilacs and summer, of home, of her. He leaned forward until their foreheads were touching and he let himself rest against her, afraid to open his eyes, afraid to let her see everything he knew his eyes would reveal to her, if he did. The first sting of hot tears shocked him and he squeezed his eyes shut tighter in futile frustration. He wasn't going to bawl on top of everything else, God damn it! he was a goddamn soldier for fuck's sake wasn't going to fucking cry. He willed the tears to stop, clamped down the grapefruit-sized lump that was clogging his throat, fought against the pain that tingled at the back of his eyes, the kind of pain that could only be soothed by a release of tears. Fuck that. He was not going to fucking cry. She moved then, quietly, sliding out from his grasp, and climbed up onto the bed beside him, as if she could see the battle he was waging against the indignity of tears, 
as if she somehow sensed that sitting there before him, her forehead pressed to his, her hands stroking his face, would only wrench those tears out of him faster and lure him into the comfort of her arms. She could have reduced him to a weeping mess so easily, but she didn't, and the sudden surge of gratitude and love he felt for her made his chest ache. I know a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, she said into the quiet of the room, smoothing his hair with gentle fingers. I worked with a lot of veterans before I came to PGI. Her fingers traced the age lines that fanned out around the corners of his eyes, where the tears had been stopped in their tracks. She brushed at them gently, and he flinched away. This isn't PTSD, he muttered, wiping his hand over his face to clear away any further evidence of his lack of control. I think it might be. She leaned and kissed his temple. A lot of men with your background experience it especially special forces. You don't understand, he said, wishing she would go, but needing her to stay. It's not PTSD. But your nightmare, she began. A lot of things cause nightmares. He cut her off. Things you probably don't understand, but my job wasn't one of them. At least not until... He stopped his mind slamming the lid closed on that particular memory. The dream images were bad enough. He didn't need to recall them when he was awake, too, and she sure as hell didn't need to know anything about it. Until what? She persisted gently. He turned to look at her. Being tough enough isn't my problem. Never was. I know, she said quietly. But PTSD can affect everyone. Even the tough ones. Look, Alexandra, I know you're just trying to help, he said, hating the cold irritation that sharpened his voice. But you really don't know anything about this. Thank you, but I'd really rather you just went back to bed. She looked at him and lowered the hand that had been so sweetly smoothing his hair. Damn it, he missed her touch when it was gone. Her caress was so calming, so soothing. But he couldn't let her stay here just to baby him through a nightmare. He had to make her leave, somehow. He looked down at his hands, clasped tightly together so he wouldn't reach for her, and hoped that the subtle language of his body would tell her to go even if he couldn't make himself say the words again. But he should have known she wouldn't be put off by so little. If unleashing his inner asshole were capable of scaring her away, they wouldn't even be up here in the first place. I know more about PTSD than you think, she said carefully, after a moment. My little brother went through it with the rest of you. He looked over at her with the rest of you. Something ominous fisted into his gut again. Some kind of warning that he couldn't quite identify. Your brother? She smiled sadly. How do you think I came to know Nick Sullivan, anyway? Why do you think I came to work for his little band of brothers? He sat up, blinking. He'd never asked. It had never occurred to him to ask how she had come to know Nick. 
She had simply been there when he'd woken up in the medical bay. A vision in a white coat and little gold glasses. Beautiful eyes, bright with concern, as she'd gazed down at him. Pretty as an angel. He'd actually thought she was an angel when he'd first surfaced from the hell of his sedation. An angel with cute little glasses. An angel with a soft voice and gentle hands. And a smile that had finally, finally, made him feel free. He'd never questioned her presence there. He'd taken it for granted, so grateful to be able to see her every day that he'd never even imagined the place without her. Now he felt like a complete shit for never having questioned why she was there. Do you remember? She went on gingerly, as though his memory was a minefield. Jason Griffith? Griff? Of course I remember Griff. He recalled the jovial junior demolition sergeant, the youngest member of the Fallen Twelve, but one of the sharpest, most capable men he'd ever served with. The heartbreak kid, they'd dubbed him, because he was such a hit with women. All he ever had to do was moon at them with those big hazel eyes, and they were putty in his... hazel eyes. The realization crashed over him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Griff was your brother, he managed, his heart thundering again. His voice had come out as little more than a whisper of disbelief. She smiled, her eyes moist and glistening in the glow from the bedside lamp. Good God, Griff was her brother. With that simple realization, Eric felt the world shrinking around them, drawing them together entwining their lives in ways that couldn't ever be untangled. She had lost as much as he had. She had suffered right along with him. But she'd done it silently, patiently, letting him grieve without ever revealing the pain that must have knotted in her heart as well. God, if only he'd known. He gazed into her eyes, even more luminous as they brimmed with tears, and his chest ached, as if whatever had surged to life inside him could no longer be contained within its walls. Half-brother, she clarified, but we were raised together. <laughs> Might as well have been full siblings. Jesus, Alexander, he breathed, reaching to clasp her hand. He threaded his fingers through hers and could have melted into the softness and strength he felt in them. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Why didn't you ever tell me? I didn't think it mattered to you. Of course it matters, he said fiercely. Jesus, Griff's sister. Griff's sister. Another thought sucker-punched him, brought the nausea to a boisterous royal again. You didn't sleep with your buddy's sister. Ever. Ever. Even if she threw herself at you, even if she were the last woman on earth, even if you loved her more than life itself. Messing with a buddy's sister would get your ass kicked, and when that buddy was special forces, an ass-kicking could get you killed. It didn't matter that Griff was long gone. It was a matter of honor among brothers. It was the code. 
You didn't betray that code even when your brother had fallen and would never know. But then again, Aidan Blake had married Nick's sister and somehow managed to keep his sense of honor and his teeth. Maybe Griff wouldn't have minded that much at all, Eric told himself. Maybe if Griff was basking in some sort of afterlife right now, he might look down on them with approval. Or at least without wanting to kick the shit out of Eric too badly. Maybe if Griff could somehow know how much his sister was loved and always would be, he'd be okay with it. Eric sent up a silent apology to the kid anyway, wherever his spirit might be. He had PTSD. Alexandra was saying, stroking his hair again. Pretty bad. He had the nightmares, the blackouts, the flashbacks. When I asked him to talk about the war, he'd either brush it off or downplay it, like I wouldn't understand. Because you wouldn't, Eric said absently. She smoothed his hair and caressed his cheek. I did get him to open up, though, when it got really bad. I can be pretty persistent, Eric smiled, faintly, in spite of himself. No kidding. He would tell me about how pointless it all felt after a while, she said. How all your training, all your skills, didn't mean much at the end of the day. Either your gun jammed or it didn't. Either the RPG landed in your gas tank or it lodged in the fender instead and somehow didn't go off. Either you took the sniper's bullet or it got your friend next to you. She paused. He always said it was just a game of chance, and that after a while you just accepted it. Either you'd die today or you wouldn't. Eric nodded. Yeah, that was pretty much it. The fatalistic philosophy of the soldier in combat, otherwise known as what fucking ever. He said he'd join special forces because he wanted to feel some measure of control. He wanted better training, better equipment, to work with the best of the best. He wanted to feel like he could rely on himself and his unit, like he could outwit random chance. And I think he was happier when he was with you guys. Really, I do. Eric flashed on his last memory of Griff of the kid smiling as he ripped open an MRE, but then swearing at the contents. Maloney was always switching the labels on him, making sure every one of Griff's meals was Fiesta Chicken. Griff fucking hated Fiesta Chicken. It had been a stupid running joke, stupid teenage asshole shit, but Eric remembered it now with a pang of nostalgia. He never thought he'd look back at his Special Forces days with anything even approaching wistfulness, yet there it was. The memory of a time when immaturity and frivolity was a luxury they could afford. When even a war zone couldn't break their spirits. When Nick had just grinned at all the shit his men got up to and let it go, knowing that it was necessary, a pressure valve that helped them cope. I learned something from his experience, Alexandra said, her voice low and gentle. It was the good man in my brother that suffered. It was the decent, noble, human part of him that suffered because of it all. A stone-cold killer with no humanity, no remorse, 
no basic goodness, wouldn't tear himself apart over the things he'd seen and done. It was only the good men who suffered, Eric. The ones who least deserved to. Like you. He glanced over at her and saw such earnestness in her eyes. God, what had he ever done to deserve the love of such a beautiful woman? Her desire to help him was written so plainly on her face, in the gentle caress of her fingers, in the silent pleading of her eyes. Her belief in him humbled him, and yet filled him with a kind of sorrow he hadn't felt in years. She thought she understood him. She thought she knew everything about him, but she didn't, couldn't, and wouldn't understand why he never wanted her to, either. She was the embodiment of everything he had gone to war for. She was like a pinup girl painted on the nose of an old bomber, a real, tangible reminder of why soldiers were willing to put themselves in harm's way, were willing to kill and suffer and die, so that she and everyone like her back home could be safe, so that she could live her life in security and peace and would never have to face the ugliness, the cruelty, the outright gut-wrenching futility and hopelessness of war. He hadn't known her then, but it was the idea of a woman like her that had driven him on. He'd sacrificed so that others like her wouldn't have to. That was the mantra that kept most soldiers going. Soldiers who gazed at pictures of sweethearts and newborns, toothless kids and beaming parents, while sleepless in their bunks at night who lived for phone calls back home and the countdown of days till the time when they would touch down stateside and try to pretend it had all just been a bad dream. It was something to cling to, something that gave meaning to the endless days and the lonely nights, a reason to get up and do it all over again the next day. The last thing Eric wanted was for her to suffer along with him now. It was obscene, somehow, that she should have to share in his misery. And not just because it would make him feel like he'd gone through it all for nothing if she did. It was obscene that such a gentle person, such a sweet, loving spirit, should be touched by such darkness, such despair. That such blissful innocence about the realities of the world could be so easily, thoughtlessly lost. No, she wouldn't understand. He hoped she never would. He stroked her hand with his thumb, his gaze fixed on her small fingers as they curved delicately over his knuckles. A slow burn of need fired within him, filling him, tingling through his awareness like it always did when she was near. Only this time it wasn't just the ache of desire that flooded his veins. Something stronger, more powerful, surged through him. He needed to protect her. Like that feeling that had washed over him when she'd looked up at him from the bathtub with her wet hair in her face and her eyes large and bright with worry, the need to protect her flooded through him. More than he needed to possess her, more than he needed the comfort of her arms, he needed to keep her safe. She needed him to protect her from the downward spiral that life with him would invariably be. She wouldn't understand, but she didn't need him to love her or build a life with her or, frankly, have anything more to do with her. 
because he'd only drag her down with him into his own personal hell. She needed to move on from this half-life she was living and reclaim her future. She needed sunlight, not shadows, or at least a chance at it. He couldn't give her much, but he could give her that. Thank you for trying, he said, after the silence had become something heavy and cold. He kept his voice low, uninflected. But I don't need your help. She tilted her head and looked at him, and the sharp scrutiny in her eyes made him look away. He let go of her hand and clasped both of them together in his lap again, hoping to clarify that his words were a dismissal. I think you do, she said quietly, after another long, heavy silence. You can't fix everything, Alexandra, he said, not unkindly. He didn't want to hurt her. He just wished she'd get up and go back to her room. He wished his body didn't hum like a plucked string when she was next to him. He wished the slight parting of her rosy lips didn't make his groin ache, and he wished more than anything that he didn't love her so goddamn much. All right, she said evenly, after a torturously long pause. If you say so. She leaned over and pressed her lips to his cheek, sweetly, sensuously, lingering just a little too long as her breast brushed up against his arm. Desire spiked through him, hot and demanding and almost overwhelming. He shot it down fiercely, fighting the need to reach for her, to lay her back down on the bed and drown in her. This had to stop. He cursed himself, fisting his hands in his lap. He'd been such an idiot, thinking he could call her bluff, thinking she'd hate his coldness, his emotional distance, his refusal to show her even the smallest sign of love, for thinking that she'd sent him packing after their first time together, or their second, or their third. Christ, had he ever really believed she'd be scared off, or was that just something he told himself to justify giving in to his raging lust for her? Was he really that much of a prick? Shit, yeah, of course he was. That first night, when he'd been trying to leave for the second time, he would have told himself anything, anything, to stay and have sex with her. No rationalization would have been too much of a reach, no excuse too pathetic. He would have told himself she was just a military groupie, or that she was horny and any man would do, or that it would boost her feminine ego to seduce him. He would have told himself absolutely anything, as long as it led to her naked and quivering beneath him, moaning his name as she came. He would still tell himself anything to be with her. He was doing it right now, for Christ's sake. He looked at her, and she was so gorgeous, so sensual and loving and sweet, that for one staggering stupidly hopeful moment he tried to convince himself that he could have her after all, that he could just let it all go and make love to her like a normal man would, like a man who was crazy in love with her would, and that everything would work out fine, that she'd be happy and fulfilled with his ring on her finger and his baby in her... Jesus, it had to fucking stop! Now! Please, just go! Now! Alexandra! He said tightly. Please! 
Something in his voice must have finally reached her. She got up after a moment and slowly moved away, as if giving him every chance to pull her back to him. But he let her go. Even when she paused at the door and looked back at him, a hesitant invitation clear on her face. His cock surged, wanting her, needing her, but he let her go. Good night, then, she said, her hand resting on the door frame. Then she frowned slightly. By the way, he looked up, lifted his eyebrows into a question. Who is Camilla? Good night, Alexandra, he said, and switched off the light.